Greetings, church and friends of the church. Um, we are now at the four and a half month mark in this um, pandemic season of wilderness and isolation, of disconnection from the normal. Um, our area, Pennsylvania, is uh, still in the green designation, but numbers are still going up. Uh, we're still very much disconnected from what used to be normal. Our school district uh, voted just last night uh, for our kids to be all virtual in their learning at home through the new year. Um, we certainly know that we're not at a new normal yet. We're still stuck in this in-between and we're not sure um, when and how life will get back to something that feels predictable and normal. Um, this is the first reflection that I've offered in this wilderness season in several weeks. Uh, part of that is, is our family being away for some safe and socially distant time in the mountains. Uh, but part of that also was simply my own pandemic fatigue. Um, we are living through a global pandemic. More than 150,000 of our fellow Americans have died. And this is slowly and subtly traumatizing for all of us. And it's exhausting. Um, and so take time, all of you, friends, uh, to find rest in your own body, in your own spirit, um, so that you can um, have what you need uh, for this marathon. It's not a sprint. Um, and be graceful with others as they're tired and traumatized um, themselves. So this, um, this uh, reflection that I offer you is the latest in a series of connected reflections about this experience we're having in this strange disconnected place and, and how we can not just wish it away, but can be grown and reshaped by our time together in this wilderness place where we're not monopolized by going through the motions of what's habitual and what's normal, but we have space to imagine a better way of being in relationship to God and ourselves and to others. To summarize the kinds of things we've been reflecting on, we've thought about being present in the midst of this, having empathy, and really leaning into it as a tool for growth in this time. We've talked about having an awareness of privilege and wanting to extend that to those who lack it. We've talked about how God is in control of the big God things, but that we people have to be in control of the people things in order for life to be all that we hope it is together. We've talked about how we can't just go back to the way things were before COVID because that just going back um, isn't good enough for all people. There wasn't a, it wasn't a place of well-being for everyone. Uh, we thought about how we need ad adaptation and creativity in our systems of our lives together because the old solutions weren't working. Uh, we need new solutions for new circumstances. Um, and, and maybe what is the, the crux, the, the key heart of this whole series of reflections, we thought about the natural tendencies that have evolved within every human physical being. Um, the reactivity fight-flight mechanism, the tendency toward negativity, and the tendency toward tribalism. Um, and we reflected on 
the three major macro temptations that come out from those tendencies. The temptation to elevate the self in importance above all else. The temptation to seek power and authority over the other. And the temptation to make God into something that God's not. Um, so that God becomes an enabler of our tendencies and temptations, catering to our desires and our fears. Um, and we thought about how um, when these tendons, physical tendencies and temptations lack um, a larger spiritual voice to help us move beyond these animalistic natures that have um, evolved within us, it leads to systemic human failures, the breakdown of peaceful and just human society. And so we're going to spend several episodes considering how um, these human tendencies that evolved within all of us and the temptations they naturally nurture give rise to destructive community and cultural realities and norms, the isms that plague us as people and keep us as a connected people away from the promise and intention that is latent within creation, which is a life together in community, connected, peaceable, in which all people are able to flourish and have and be enough. A community in which we all belong um, to something bigger than just the self. And as we consider the isms and how they've manifested themselves in us as individuals and collective culture, we also acknowledge that the physical tendencies and temptations that got us into these hellish places in the first place will never be that which helps us to move out from and beyond these isms and into a world that is a better place, that is more just and peaceful and good for all people. Our history up to this point is, is physical, it's animalistic. It's what's gotten us into all these places of, of brokenness and, and they're not being enough. And so our way forward, our future must, must, must be one that's built, uh, not even more so, doubling down on our physicality and those tendencies and those isms, but it must be a way forward that's built on a larger spiritual reality that tells us a different story about God, self, and other in this global community. Perhaps my favorite piece of artwork is The Golden Rule by Norman Rockwell. Uh, it was published on the cover of Saturday Evening Post, April 1st, 1961. And in this piece of art, there's a group of people of different religious, racial, ethnic backgrounds, and it includes a, a self-portrait of Rockwell himself. Um, and these, this group of people is the backdrop for an inscription, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. In discussing this piece of art, Rockwell said, I've been reading up on comparative religion. The thing is that all major religions have the golden rule in common. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Not always the same words, but the same meaning. Now, when we considered the third major macro temptation, that temptation to make God into something that God is not, because uh, we want God to be self-serving, uh, we acknowledged how our fear-driven tendency to self-protect and self-serve can cause our religion to be more an expression of our own fearful and greedy physicality than an expression of a larger spiritual truth. 
As Rockwell discovered, at the core of every major religion is a similar spiritual heartbeat that's based on uh, this truth that is so much different than what our physical tendencies and temptations that have evolved within our physicality tell us. Tell us a much different story. Now, in the Christian tradition, um, which is the tradition in which I serve and the lens through which I view the world around me, that spiritual heartbeat is heard as Jesus says, in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you, for this is all the law and the prophets. In the Jewish tradition, that spiritual heartbeat's heard as the rabbis of the Talmud wrote, what is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. This is the whole Torah and all the rest is commentary. In the Muslim tradition, the spiritual heartbeat is heard as the prophet Muhammad says, not one of you truly believes until you wish for others what you wish for yourself. In the Hindu tradition, this spiritual heartbeat is found as Vyasa writes in the Mahabharata, this is the sum of duty. Do not to others what would cause pain if done to you. In the Buddhist tradition, the spiritual heartbeat is named in the wisdom of the Udhanavarga. Treat not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. In the Zoroastrian tradition, this heartbeat, spiritual heartbeat is heard in the teaching, do not do unto others whatever is injurious to yourself. In the tradition of Jainism, the spiritual heartbeat was spoken by Mahavira in the 6th century BC. One should treat all creatures in the world as one would like to be treated. And in the Taoist tradition, this heartbeat is heard in the teachings of the Taishan Kanying uh, Pian text on morality. Regard your neighbor's gain as your gain, and regard your neighbor's loss as your loss. These are the heartbeats of our major world religious traditions. Different words, but so very similar. And yet so very often this, this common spiritual heartbeat gets obscured or lost because of the countless ways that our fear-driven tendency to self-protect and self-serve causes our religion to be an expression of our own fearful and greedy physicality rather than an expression of a larger spiritual truth. For centuries and millennia, the spiritual leaders all around the world have been trying to help humanity to overcome the tendencies and temptations of our bodies that give rise to all these isms that disconnect us from the spiritual truth about us all. Healthy, grounded, true spirituality, whether it be Christianity or any of these other major spiritual traditions, Healthy, grounded, and true spirituality offers us a foundational view of God, self, and the other in which we all belong together in peace and flourishing, and teaches us that peace is a, co a cooperative and collaborative enterprise, a social contract that demands that we all participate. Loving attitudes and actions unto others are not just spiritual expressions of my beliefs or character, not just expressions of my, my religiosity, but are necessary actions for the actual construction of our social reality. A social reality built upon the spiritual truth of the golden rule. 
that we treat each other how we want to be treated because we belong together in peace is a much different social reality than a human community built upon the isms that we consider in this series. If we all wished for others what we wished for ourselves, if we treated others as we would like to be treated ourselves, rather than treating others in ways that we know would be hurtful if they happened to us, and if we considered the gain of the other as our own gain, these are the actions that allow us to co-create a life of peace together, to co-create a society in which we all belong together in a cooperative and collaborative social construct of peace. But our physical instincts, our tendencies, our temptations, our obstacles to wishing and treating and considering others in this peacemaking way. We fall prey to these temptations, to the isms, and we seek to build our social lives around them in our families, in our towns, in our organizations, and in our nations and community with other nations. But we have the ability to overcome these obstacles. We have the ability to choose to allow a larger truth to guide our actions and attitudes than just these physical urges based on fear and greed. But we have to consciously make the choice. Our physical instincts, tendencies, temptations tell us that we don't belong to one another in peace and that our individual well-being and flourishing is not directly connected to the well-being and flourishing of others in this collective collaborative enterprise, but instead uh, these tendencies, instincts, and temptations tell us that individual well-being and flourishing are finite resources won through individual pursuit, posturing, and victory over and against others comp competing for that finite well-being. These physical animalistic tendencies and temptations offer us a foundational view of God's self and other in which we are divided in competition and conflict with one another. And the result of this conflict-based view of self and God and other is antagonism, which is active hostility or opposition. Antagonism is the foundational ism for all the other isms, which we'll consider over the next several episodes, are, are built upon the assertions of antagonism that rather than belonging to one another in connected community, we are competitors, if not enemies. The archetypal prehistorical stories of the Hebrew scriptures in the first few chapters of Genesis remind us that we've been wrestling against this foundationalism of antagonism for as long as we've been human. In the story of the very first siblings, Cain's fear triggers his self-serving and protecting fight response. He knows these temptations to elevate the self, to seek power and authority over Abel, to make God into something that God is not, which is this skewed fear that God loves his brother more than him. And he becomes antagonistic toward Abel. He doesn't see them as belonging together in life. He sees them as adversaries and competitors. And so he kills Abel. And this, like all the other stories from those first 11 chapters of Genesis, say something 
that is foundationally true about all of us. As we continue to read through our scriptural history, the Israelites go through countless seasons of going back and forth between the sense of belonging to the neighboring nations and tribes, living by the golden rule in ways that honor that spiritual heartbeat of their tradition uh, that was known to them most profoundly through the story of God's covenant with Abraham, where they as a people were blessed by God in order that they would be God's means of bringing goodness and blessing to all the other nations of the world. So they go back and forth between that place of goodwill and golden rule and then these lives of antagonism toward neighboring nations and tribes, fueled by fear and greed that bubbled up when they listened more to their physical tendencies and temptations than their spiritual heartbeat. That's all through the Law and the Prophets. In Jesus' time, the Roman uh, occupying forces and leaders and the, pe the people of the occupied nations were antagonistic toward one another. Jews and Samaritans were antagonistic toward one another. Men were antagonistic toward the women. The healthy were antagonistic toward the diseased and the disabled. The rich were antagonistic toward the poor. The Pharisees were antagonistic toward even their own followers who weren't perfect. But into the midst of all that antagonism, Jesus lives a life that honors his sense of belonging to and with Romans, Samaritans, women, the lame, the poor. He tells a story about what a good and true life is, one that resonates with the rhythms of eternity. And in that story, a good-natured Samaritan is the hero by treating the beaten man in the way he'd like to be treated if it had been him. In our time, in the here and now, nations are antagonistic toward one another. We treat those of different political party with antagonism. We treat those in the LGBTQ community with antagonism. We treat the black community crying out for more help and seeking justice with antagonism. We treat those who are poor and seeking a, a wage that they can live on. We treat them with antagonism. We treat immigrants seeking refuge and asylum for their children with antagonism. We treat those who disagree with our opinions about reopening schools in the midst of a pandemic with antagonism. We treat those who want to merge in front of us on the highway with antagonism. We treat not only strangers and enemies with antagonism, but members of our own families. Why don't we treat these people in the same way that we want to be treated? Why, why don't we refrain from doing to them what we know would be harmful and hurtful if it was done to us? Because we've normalized and accepted the foundational ism of antagonism. We treat it as though it's a normal part of the human experience, that it's a given. And in a way it is because it's the natural physical result of these tendencies and temptations that have evolved within us all if they go unchecked and unchallenged. But I refuse to accept that we're not able to check and challenge them. I refuse to accept that we are not able to live by something more than our animalistic and instinctual nature our uh, fearful and greedy selves. We are able. For me, it's the daily discipline of listening for that spiritual heartbeat of Christianity, which inspires me to seek to live by the golden rule and not by my f physical temptations and, and tendencies toward antagonism. What is your spiritual heartbeat? 
As Rockwell acknowledged, there are many, not always the same words, but the same meaning, the same heartbeat. If you are responding to someone else with antagonism, someone you know, someone you've never met, if you have a sense that you are hostile toward or opposed to someone else, a family member, a coworker, someone with different politics, uh, the black community protesting, the immigrants seeking refuge, the LGBT, LGBTQ people in your circles, and you're not treating them in the same way that you'd like to be treated, it's time for you to rediscover your spiritual heartbeat. And if you won't, and you insist on allowing your animalistic and self-serving tendencies and temptations to go unchecked and to drive your life, if you insist on giving in to your fear and your greed, if you insist on the righteousness of your antagonism, then you are part of the problem. You are standing in the way of peace. You're making the world a more antagonistic place for us all, yourself included. Listen for that heartbeat. Maybe it's not from a religious tradition, but from a beloved parent or grandparent, teacher, mentor, or friend, whoever it was that made you feel most loved and cherished by the ways that they treated you in all the ways that you'd like to be treated. Our isms will never bring about our best life. Not for us and not through us for others in the world around us. The best life for us all is always found as more and more of us set down our antagonism and live instead by the golden rule voices have been crying out calling us to this for centuries it's time to listen stay home stay safe if you absolutely must go out please wear your mask and stay socially distant we overcome this together by living in the ways we wish that others would live untoward us be well and Peace be with you all.